We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig here with you today. Today's focus, we are getting into the late rounds, going into some late strategy. We're going to be focusing on our favorite late round tight ends uh, to target. And then in the later part of the show, we're going to get into some of Mario's other favorite late round targets, talking receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, and the like. So we're, we're doing deep cuts today on this episode. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Circa, Fantrax, and Rival Fantasy. I'm your host, John Keckney. That is Mario Puig. Today we're uh, we're going we're going a little bit deep into the weeds. We're we're not going to uh, pretend like we are uh, uh, analyzing the first week of preseason games. We'll we'll leave that. Uh, to to other podcasts, I don't know what's going to happen in those games. I know that I will watch them. I don't know if I'll have much in the way of takeaways, but uh, they they will just mostly be there uh, for entertainment purposes only. Um, and and also, I will not bore the listeners with uh, my terrible Rotowire Stake League uh, auction draft from yesterday. But just a, a spoiler: uh, it's bad. Our, our guy Jake Latarski always uh, tweets out the. Uh, projected standings uh, once the auction uh, wraps up. Not only am I in last place uh, by the projections, I'm in last place by like uh, like a, at least one or two standard deviations. Like it, it's not looking good. It goes into that level of detail. Oh wow! Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, really putting you on blast there. You know, it, I I think it's deserved, and I know it, I, I may be undercutting myself as as the host of this show to to just lead it off saying how bad. Uh, I, I drafted yesterday, but hey, I, I'm mostly a snake draft and best ball guy. The football auction, I only do one a year. It's only this one. There's no real way to prepare for that one. Uh, you've got coworkers that uh, know know the guys that you like and will bid you up just to do it. And I will return the favor with other people. I will be really mean when I when I have the hammer with when I have eight dollars left and everyone's down to a dollar. But uh, you know. It's in the past now. I'm just going to have to uh, really uh, ratchet in my my in season management for that one. 
Yeah, I uh, don't do the stake league anymore because uh, it's it's a, uh, in my opinion, a toxic league where uh, <laughs> the 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 horrible tech guys of RotoWire will will uh, if they're on the the winning side anyway will will basically take your month's rent in desserts and uh it's just it's just a ridiculous culture there so uh i stick to the to my safe uh, underdog and like uh, nffc type stuff where where i can stay away from my abusive co-workers that yeah that um you know when, when you walk into the tornado room in madison and, and there's like a, a sort of like roman vomitorium slash like wine uh set up and, and all the tech guys are running around in there it's like uh, I'm, I'm in for a hurting i'm gonna have to call my <laughs> credit card company about this and uh they're gonna be mad at me and i'm gonna be mad at myself and also everyone else um but it is what it is folks but um let's go ahead let's dig in Let, let's lay some some base parameters here what what uh, late round tight end means for, for this particular um, episode. So I, I'm thinking that the cutoff will be Chig Okonkwo, uh, a guy that we've talked about a lot earlier in this offseason. We haven't talked about a ton in light of the DeAndre Hopkins signing there in Tennessee. So he's going in the mid to late 12th round over on Underdog. Check out our promotion with Underdog. Uh, get signed up over there, to match your deposit, and you get a free RotoWire subscription on top of it. So check that out. Um, but we'll we'll start with Chigo Conquo and just kind of work our way through the last four or five rounds um, of underdog drafts, which obviously um, end after the the 18th. So what is the state of the union? The state of the state when it comes to our guy Chig, a, a guy who I have uh, 40 two percent exposure to i don't have quite that much but i definitely have plenty of a conquo he, he might be my most drafted tight end it's got to be either him or, or someone else we'll be talking about later in the late round tight end segment but um to me part of what always made it pretty easy to sell on a con uh, sell me on a conquo was that the price was always pretty manageable. Uh, the whole reason I was buying so much Aconquo, uh was not so much that I was targeting him specifically. It certainly like wasn't. I went into the draft. I got to get Aconquo as my tight end one. But I just don't really like the tight end prices if I can't get someone uh, between Kelsey in the first, of course, uh, Pitts or Waller, and not just anywhere. I'm not, I'm not going to reach for either one of them. So uh, basically in any draft that I didn't have – a Kelsey pick or uh, an ADP or or later kind of spot to take uh, pits uh, or, or uh, I guess sometimes Evan Ingram too, especially if I'm going with like a, a Jag stack, like those guys were the only tight ends I was interested in and, and I'm not really reaching for any of them, you know? So when I get to uh, the, the 10th round or something, I might as well wait till the 12th or the 13th to take a Conquo. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to start bidding for tight ends in this range uh, i'm taking players at other positions probably like running back uh, maybe quarterback things like that so Akakwa was always uh, a not so much that I, I was specifically targeting him as much as taking him allowed me to to build this broader structure that i liked uh, or, or you know i thought was the best i could work with in that given draft market anyway so we're talking kind of lowered not lowered expectations but but not not outrageous ones like we don't need him to set the league on fire to do the part for us this year in fantasy. And I think that's still the case after the DeAndre Hopkins signing 
uh, a few things to keep in mind, of course. I mean, the, the Titans weren't going to throw that much anyway. They can't throw that much. They're going to run the ball as much as they can, of course, and, and as much as ever if that's the case because their offensive line has four new starters. You're not going to be doing elaborate, uh, you know, bootleg stuff, um, maybe like goal line bootleg runs for Tannehill, but you're not going to be doing complex, uh, deep drop, multi-blitz pickup setups with that much turnover on your offensive line. So, like, DeAndre Hopkins going there, of course, he's going to take up more of a target share than if it was Chris Moore. Uh, running as the wide receiver two or whatever, or, or Westbrook Akeen. But there is only so much structural room for Hopkins to function there uh, because him, Burks, and Okonkwo are already working from a sort of jumbo personnel look in the first place. So I think it, like Hopkins is going to eat, of course, but you're basically splitting up the field into thirds. And Hopkins and Burks generally are not going to be running in the same areas as a Conquo. So you're going to see not, not as a base function in the offense. You're not going to see like dropping back, throwing to a Conquo every six snaps or something, but there is a sort of necessary role for him to play off of the threat. Cause defenses will roll tons of safety help toward Hopkins. If they go to hop, if, if Hopkins has uh, six catches in the first half, the rolling coverage that way. And right. Titans want to get to as many as 30 pass attempts. They have to get a Conquo involved. It's, it's like Derrick Henry is probably a bigger threat to emerge as the third leading pass catcher on that team than any receiver other than Hopkins or Burks. So I, th- I think between the low uh, or modest anyway, asking price on a Conquo all offseason and especially now and the fact that taking him usually means you're 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 loading up pretty heavily at the other positions. Uh, I think the risk around him is a bit overstated at this point. Like he's risky if in the sense that, Oh, he can't get you a thousand yards, but who in that range of the ADP could nobody. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And and he's just kind of, I think part of the reason why I've gone after him so much is he, he is the last of what, what I view to be. And I know it, it, it sounds rich given that, you know, he, he's got one year of sample, didn't really, do a whole lot in the, in the first uh, few weeks of the season last year, really um, you, you could argue that I'm holding on to, you know, what he did uh, late in the year, but it, it does feel like him versus some of the other uh, tight ends that, that go in that same range. Uh, like, you know, your Irv Smith, your, your Gerald Everett's Taysom Hills and, and so on. Um, I feel like Okonkwo, even if the track record isn't, uh, you know, overly lengthy, I think that he's still someone that showed enough last year to where he's not disappearing from this offense. Um, I, I felt that way coming into this offseason. I felt that way, or I feel that way even still, even with Hopkins in the fold. Hopkins might just kind of help the overall health of this passing game. Yeah. I mean, not that it, not that it's going to be league average even, but you know, it, it may not be pl- plum worst anymore as a result of, of Hopkins being in there and you know, I, th- I think your point's well taken when it comes to the the offensive line being a uh, pretty significant question mark. Hopefully, Tannehill still has a little bit of mobility left in the tank to extend some plays. But bottom line, I, I thought that what Chig showed last year at, at the end of the season was was extremely encouraging. I thought that you know, as far as the athletic testing was concerned at, at the combine, I thought he stood out pretty nicely to, to the point where it's like, yeah, oh, no, yeah, he, he actually, he doesn't get talked about as being toolsy. He's pretty toolsy. He's, he's literally faster than Trey Burks and he's uh like what 10 pounds heavier. 
15 mm-hmm. pounds heavier. So it's, it's an uncommon athletic category that a Conquo resides in. And the idea that they have reason to go away from him is, like you said, just not true. Like they, if anything, kind of have more reason to believe they can use a Conquo as a featured target than Burks even. And I, I like Burks. I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, but Okonkwo had 30 targets on his last 187 snaps last year, you know, 187 snaps, 30 targets. That's the team saying we need to get this guy the ball. And all he did was do well with it. So uh, even if you project regression in Okonkwo's yards after the catch per catch is 8.1 yards after the catch per catch last year, of course, is a high figure, probably generally not sustainable, but a Okonkwo projects as an above average yards after the catch guy anyway like he he doesn't project to regress as much as any given tight end which is how that mode of analysis always frames like any given tight end is likely to regress this he's not that so don't project as much regression a and b even if you did project regression from 8.1 down to something more like league average four and a half or something like that he's still at 7.6 yards per target and above the team baseline for efficiency returns which is generally an indicator that he can take on more volume and still remain above that baseline so uh, for, for how low the price is the risk is just completely overstated in my opinion i think i think it is too um the, and like you know to your point on the on the yak regression um you know not that how did he do it, John? How did he use so much after the catch running? Uh, what, what is it like a four five one or whatever at two two forty? Uh, how how is there is maybe speed a factor in this? Do you think? You know, it it's like uh, it how it, it's another point in or a case in how people never seem to learn their lessons. Uh, I remember people were screeching about AJ Brown regressing going into his second year, and obviously they, these are two very different players. Um, but everyone was like, oh. Well, he had so much yards after the catch uh, on average. It, it's coming way down. You know, it's it's all going to disappear. It's flatten like flatten well, the details. Did, Always did, flatten did you, the details. It's like, did you watch AJ? Do you think that a, a guy that size with with that speed is going to get easier to tackle this year somehow? When you make the the macro sample so big that you can't see any, like you're you forget like airplane level view, like space level view. They, they, clearly, th- th- these 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 players uh, are, are all going to regress the same way. There, there's no distinguishing them. Uh, they all they all adhere to the same rules, no matter how different they are for from case to case in all their traits. They're, everyone's the same. Every running back's the same. Every tight end's the same. It, it's you know, it, it just flatten it. Uh, make a fancy chart. Uh, tweet it out um, and, and profit. Um, before we get on over to our, our next. A cluster of late round tight ends. We got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for more millions guaranteed. The biggest pro football contests in Vegas are back and bigger than ever with 14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Enter in Nevada, play from anywhere. Two ways to win and no rake. Play Circa Million, make five picks against the spread each week with 100% payback to the players. Grand finale winner takes home $1 million. Last place takes home a $100,000 booby prize. With quarterly and full season payouts, $6 million is guaranteed. Join Circa Survivor to select one team each week straight up with no repeat selections. If the team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. Each team can only be picked once in a season, go to go 20 and 0 or be the last person standing to win it all. 
eight million dollars guaranteed, fourteen million in guaranteed prizes. Visit circa.com for details. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And we are moving on. All right, so let's keep it rolling here. So again, Chico Conquil kind of led, led this off as the, as the cutoff for what constitutes a late round tight end. Um, so now, now we're kind of getting into the tight end two range. Uh, Mario, I, I think one of the more confusing tight end depth charts to, to sort through, probably the most, I would say De- Denver's close, but I, I think this, this one really does take the cake. I'm talking about the New Orleans Saints. They all seem to go in, in a very similar range, whether it's Juwan Johnson or Taysom Hill. Uh, Foster Moreau, of course, uh, potentially uh, being in that mix as well. What are we doing here? It's kind of frustrating. They have a lot of depth, of course. One thing I'll, I'll quickly get out of the way. Jimmy Graham doesn't matter at all. It's not happening. Okay. Him. They can cut him with for basically nothing back. And uh, yeah, if, if he were to make the team, he's still not going to play. I'm sorry. like they, they don't have the snaps for him. So... Granted, it's it's pretty difficult, I think, to to really project these guys, especially Taysom Hill, without knowing what the actual goals, ambitions are of, of the Saints' offense, the Saints' coaches, you know, r- running the offense this year. Taysom Hill is one of those guys who, 
I don't know how you determine what he's worth exactly. Like he, he requires so much novelty. You know, he's like a wildcat player. I don't know if I really believe in that kind of stuff. He's, he's had a lot of good plays, of course, it's certainly in fantasy. Um, if, if he's getting a certain number of snaps, Taysom Hill will pay off in fantasy, especially since he goes pretty cheap in best ball. Anyway, I don't know how, how you're going to guess when he's going to have his actually good games. You know, when he's going to get his three uh, goal line touchdowns, good luck guessing which of the 17 weeks that's going to happen versus the, you know, five, six, seven, eight weeks where he's just getting like three carries for 14 yards or something like that. But I feel like uh, they have a lot of good personnel for running a base offense, even like an up-tempo one. And I don't know how you get Taysom Hill involved in a base offense at all. Like he doesn't play real tight end. He doesn't play real receiver. He doesn't play real running back. Just move him to running back is, I guess, what I think. Move, move him to running back and just just dispense with these uh, these these gimmicks, uh, these these uh, these like this euphemisms uh, almost of like calling him a quarterback or what or a tight end or whatever. He's, he's not. He's just a, he's a running back who who catches shotgun snaps. So obviously, I'm I'm not like the biggest Taysom Hill fan. So at least when I have a receiver depth chart of Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid. And then I got tight end room of Jawan Johnson, Foster Moreau. Uh, I kind of don't really want to use Hill myself because I think those guys and, and the, by using those guys, I don't tip my place so easily. You know, I don't when I put Taysom Hill on the field, I'm alerting the whole defense like, hey, watch right. this guy. And if, if I have Foster Moreau out there on the field with Jawan Johnson, we might be running the ball. We can certainly do it, but you don't know that you certainly don't know. Uh, for sure, which way you know, it, like if if I if I do run the ball with this with this personnel, like it's it's not as likely as when I run it with Taysom Hill. You can't quite guess and gun for the same things. So I think keeping the offense more uh, difficult to predict from play to play, situation to situation, that that's something that minimizing Hill's playing time assists, and I, I think it's to the detriment of that to give him more playing time. So. I've taken Hill a few times just because he's so cheap and you know, those, those spike weeks he's capable of are great, but I just don't. And also the running backs are a bit deeper and they're, they're showing like an interest in getting more running back personnel with right. so closely at Kareem hunt. Like why do you need all these running backs? Why do you need all these tight ends and receivers? If you're going to give Taysom Hill any playing time at all. So that that's what I can't really figure out. And I, I don't mean to suggest I have an answer, but one thing I do think is clear is Juwan Johnson's going a little too late now especially in best ball. I, I don't have like high ceiling hopes in mind for Juwan Johnson because his, he's not going to play more than 40 snaps that often. Like Foster Moreau can definitely play and Foster Moreau can play like real tight end. Whereas Juwan Johnson's more like he's in that Dulcich, you know, Dalton Kincaid category where he's not a real tight end. You put him on the field to kind of mess with the defense's personnel reaction and hope that you get a linebacker on him. And then you, you use him like a receiver, who's getting covered by a linebacker. Like that's, that's what you try to do with Juwan Johnson. And in that capacity, Juwan Johnson has been clearly very good. And, and what I'm the point of that is even though he's not playing more than 35 snaps that often, he's also not blocking nearly as much per snap as the average tight end out there. Like he's getting, he, he probably needs like 75% as many snaps as any given starting tight end to get the same number of routes as them. So it's true. His, his ceiling is limited. Certainly the more Taysom Hill is involved, certainly the more Foster Moreau is involved, but he also functions enough like a receiver that it's not truly a zero sum thing between the three of them. 
I'm uh I'm old enough to remember when Juwan Johnson was a five star wide receiver recruit. Yeah, he's the Ricky Seals Jones who actually worked out. Uh, yeah, he, he uh, I think it turned out to be a case of like Juwan Johnson just his his traits didn't work as well for a three down role on the perimeter receiver role as much as like if you can get him going against safeties and linebackers, which he's just big enough to kind of make the defense respond that way. You know, being like six four. 230 plus like you, you as a def- defensive coordinator don't really want to put a corner on him so you put right. like oh well let's let's put let's put our 230 pound linebacker on him and that's just good enough of a matchup for johnson to to hurt them that way so uh, i think jo- johnson is my um saints uh target among the these uh later round uh tight ends and and yeah i think with, with Taysom hill um he he will have at least two weeks this year, maybe three where, yeah, he, he's start, he's enters your starting lineup. Like he, he has a couple rushing touchdowns, maybe even throws one. Um, you know, I think it, it could happen early in the year while, while Kamara is suspended. But um, I, I think that, you know, it, he'll, he'll is a fine enough best ball type of guy. And it's not like, you, again, you're, you're spending too much on him. I, I think, I would advise to go with like a three tight end loadout for, for your draft. If, if you're getting Taysom Hill, because it's going to be so risky uh, more often than not, but um, I can, I can see the case a little bit, but I, th- I think Juwan Johnson projects to be a little bit more consistent. I don't know if the ceiling's super high, but I think that, um, you know, if you, if you're starting tight end, your tight end one is, is on a buy in a given week. Like he, he's not going to give you, uh, like a frustrating goose egg. Like he should be able to give you at least a little something that's that ends up uh, being useful. Um, and did you have any lingering thoughts there when it comes to Foster Moreau? Any galaxy braining when it comes to you know his his history rapport with with um, with Carr? Anything like that? Well, Moreau is very athletic, but to this point, he's mostly just been a blocking tight end who sometimes peels off for a target in the flats after doing like a chip kind of thing on a pass play. So I, in a way can imagine him doing more as a pass catcher. Just if, if, uh, if he were of the caliber of pass catcher to displace someone like Jawan Johnson, I feel like Moreau would have shown more already to this point. He's, he's good, but for fantasy specific purposes, I, I haven't seen him show that, kind of you know pass catching acumen okay I, i've stayed away my, myself he, he could play snaps but I, I don't know if he's he's legitimately like fantasy viable um let's go to a toss-up uh next we're talking uh i'm pulling from my board uh from a best ball draft on underdog this morning uh the 13th round the tight ends selected were sam laporta Gerald Everett, Irv Smith, Cole Komet. Where are you? Uh, Laporta. Laporta of, of that grouping. And when it comes to him versus the rest, what, what kind of puts him over the top? So I'm a little bit lower on Gerald every year. I'm a little bit lower on Gerald Everett than everybody else. I know that the target rate, the target count certainly is tempting, alluring, but uh, a couple things. He, a lot of his playing time and usage occurred when Parham was off the field. And Parham has been, while he hasn't gotten big workloads at any point, he's always been effective. And 
you would also, I think, in a guy like Parham's case, project that he get more playing time pretty much every year, or at least until further notice. And I, I don't think that that notice is issued yet because he played wide receiver at a. I feel like am I making up a, a college Stetson or something like that? Oh, I that's real. It's real. Okay, I don't know why that that's that's the the college that popped in my head. I think he he must have played there, something like that that I've never heard of before. I heard of Donald Parham, and he was a really super productive receiver there. So he is is a conversion project in the NFL at tight end, and it would make sense that he would start slower than he finishes. You know, so uh, with his returns on a per target basis being so good, especially. I think Parham could tap into the target share that Everett claimed last year, which also largely only occurred because of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams's injuries. So uh, when you look at the, the the baseline of the Chargers passing game last year, Gerald Everett is one of those, along with Josh Palmer, who was below baseline. They were dragging down the team baseline. And so if Donald Parham can come back and he, he being an above baseline return, as a target, if he claims more targets, it would make a lot of sense because to me, it looks like Everett's a little overexposed in his usage. Like he's, he's the kind of guy who you can only go to when the defense isn't looking for him basically. And if the defense starts looking for him, he's just, he turns in, into a, you know, he big old turd. <laughs> and so Donald Parham, I think cuts off the upside that Everett is often um, the, the, the theorized upside with Everett. Uh, being in such an otherwise productive offense, but he's always been a below baseline player. He was with the Rams. He's been with the Chargers too. He doesn't have it. I'm sorry. So uh, by contrast, I, I think Cole Komet is a really good tight end, uh, but it might be more for real life than fantasy, especially now that they got DJ Moore. Claypool can't possibly be as bad as he was last year. I mean, I my God, I, I, I hate that trade. Uh, I love that polls made it because it's funny. But uh, it's it's to be fair to polls like Claypool clearly just never got, you know, any traction at all last year. That'll None. change. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of players who can take targets on a team that don't have that doesn't have that many targets in the first place with the Bears. Whereas Laporta, he's a a really good prospect and B he is specifically a good prospect for pass catching purposes, for fantasy purposes. Like I, I was a big fan of Laporta as a prospect. But I would not say, oh, yeah, go put him in line and, and run all day. I, I think you got to get him as a lot of slot receiver looks. But he should be very good at it, just as he was at Iowa. He was their best pass catcher at Iowa on a team that couldn't throw the ball like five yards. And he carried that whole passing game over and over and over. And now Jameson Williams is suspended six games. If Marvin Jones so much as plays 20 snaps uh, a game in those six weeks, Laporta is going over – uh, five targets in all of them. Like mm -hmm. there's the you, Marvin Jones is completely toast. Khalif Raymond seems like he's got something, but they can't leave him on the field for like all base functions. He's just kind of too small, and they too often want him in the slot where Amon Ross St. Brown, of course, cannot be moved. So I think Laporte is entering this offense with a ton of slack in the first six weeks, and. Jameson Williams is never going to be the kind of receiver who functions in the parts of the field where golf is most comfortable. It's right. Laporta, St. Brown, Gibbs. So Laporta isn't exactly cheap anymore. And I know it's kind of uh, it's a little bit nerve wracking to, to go in on a tight end uh, as a rookie. Uh, who who wasn't a first rounder anyway? I guess people are less afraid of Kincaid. I have no idea why. Laporta, in my opinion, is the better player, and there's clearly more slack for him right now. 
Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I've I've completely left uh, Kincaid alone. I don't think I've even uh, got one share of, of him. And before the draft, he'd go in like the 16th and 18th, and I took a few there. But yeah, now he's gonna you got to take him like the 11th or something. There's like no way in hell. Yeah, not not doing that. Um, and then uh, so I, I'm with you on Laporta. I I'm still ready to to draft him at at the new. Um, ADP, I'm comfortable with that. I definitely echo your sentiments with, with Everett. And I think also that offense is just going to look different this year. They actually have some semblance of wide receiver depth, uh, not now with uh, a trio of Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and of course, Quentin Johnston. So, and a new offense in tow uh, just generally. So Everett, I think if you drafted him last year, great. Um, I, I think that that's kind of, going to be the the high watermark for his uh, career as far as uh, fantasy production is concerned. And and I, I think Parham, I haven't really heard a lot of people me- mention him as a potential uh, threat to, to um, cutting off Everett's upside, but I think that, that that's definitely uh, worth noting as he continues to get uh, more, more comfortable at this level, you know, com- coming again, and I confirmed it from Stetson. Uh, notably, Mario, we didn't mention Irv Smith there. I don't think we've mentioned Irv Smith this entire offseason. What, what is he exactly at this stage? Is it just Bengals tight end optim or like, you know, he's going to be the starting tight end for the Bengals. That means Joe Burrows is quarterback. They can't always throw it to Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. So therefore he might be somewhat useful. Well, I'm intrigued. I just can't tell what exactly is going on. Like the Vikings just, kind of got rid of him and no one really went after him even the Bengals barely paid him to get to get Irv Smith to sign and I was kind of puzzled by all of that I, I thought you know it, it it's understandable enough why people sort of looked at him as a bust in Minnesota but I think it's just kind of miss it's a mistake to do that I, th- I think it's kind of a uh, between you know his his injury troubles and uh how young he was when he came into the league it's just not reasonable, in my opinion, to look at his sample in, in those years and just say, like, oh, he's he's bad. Especially when, by the way, when they plugged in TJ Hawkinson into the Minnesota offense, he had pretty much the exact same efficiency problems that Irv Smith did. They just kind of had to roll with it anyway because they're like, well, we can't, you know, bench the guy we just gave a second round pick to a division rival for a division rival who's probably better than us. Uh, we, we can't do that. So we're going to have to just roll with it. And I guess cut Irv Smith and Irv Smith is still, uh, just yesterday turned 25, actually him and, uh, Isaiah Spiller have the same birthday. I guess he's, yeah, Spiller turned 22 yesterday. So, uh, Irv Smith is 25. You know, there's a, there's a lot of second year NFL tight ends who are that age. And here he is going into his fifth year. So, if he had played in the NFL instead at the ages of like last year and the next three years, people would point blank believe he was better um, than he was with the Vikings. And uh, I know it was unfortunate for the Vikings, but it's at worst, I think in my, in my opinion, like a case of uh, buying in too soon, basically like that's one of the risks of taking a really young prospect is if you don't have the discipline to play the long game with them, you could easily end up just getting disenchanted with them in their third or fourth year let them go, and then the second team that picks them up is the one that reaps all the benefits of their abilities, and you just kind of paid to farm them. The, the, is, the it, is that like years. a is that like an Eric Ebron esque arc potentially? Then 
Well, uh, Ebron went much earlier in the draft, and uh, as much as I never liked Ebron very much and thought he was always overrated, he is a bit more toolsy than Smith. Like, Smith is small, but not obviously fast either, and that's one of those that's a little tough to know for sure because he was so young when he did his athletic testing. But a 4.63 at 242 it, it doesn't, you know, it's 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 okay, but it's it's not really moving the needle. Whereas, more so uh, like comparing the arc than, than like the players themselves. Ebron, of course, was you know really high first round pick and and all that. Yeah, uh, I certainly uh, see the the uh, the parallel insofar as like it can't possibly get worse for Smith, and certainly it, you know, it's I don't want to read into it too much. Sometimes training camp hype is just. Just coaches saying non-binding statements to be, you know, polite that that give praise on players, but they're saying good things about Irv Smith. Uh, Mitchell Wilcox definitely isn't a route runner. Drew Sample definitely isn't a route runner. But uh, I can't I can't tell if if it's safe to assume that Smith will play as many snaps as Hayden Hurst did last year. Like, I think Hayden Hurst is awful, but he's quite a bit bigger than Irv Smith and probably more capable of playing in line. So. That Hayden Hurst play that happened so much last year where he sort of just blocks for a second and then runs off to the flats for a four-yard catch. Smith can run that route a lot better. He'll do a lot more with those routes. What I don't know is if they'll put him on the field for as many snaps in the first place, especially if they see Sample as like a 30-snap player. I, I, I can't tell what they think of Smith. So I haven't been taking Smith in drafts. There's, there's usually somebody who, who, who's got him identified as a sleeper who, who takes him quite a bit earlier than he would go a few months ago but i just th- there's just other guys that i have too solidly ahead for, for me to be the one taking him i guess right so you know like you said um guys like uh laporta and, and commit i think stand out to me at, like if if posed with, with um having the Juwan option johnson of those too. Guys. it's like Jawan johnson versus irv smith is not close to me guess where Juwan johnson went in this draft this morning Sorry. Uh, oh, uh, an underdog or something? Yes. Okay. Uh, he went in the 18th. He went in the 18th. Crazy. Yeah, he's going in the 18th and undrafted uh, often at this point, which I'm sorry. He's he's going to play 30 snaps a game, and that's all that he needs to pay off there. I think I think so too. So so yeah. Now now the 18th round. Um, you know it's you still have some decent tight ends available there. So I think it's important to, to make note of that, especially, and, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the show, but um, there there are some positions that are basically non-existent. Once you get to the 18th, they've been picked over a little bit too much. Um, running back, I feel like it is definitely one of those. Quarterback, it, it's pretty dicey there as well. Sam Howell, interestingly, interestingly went in the 18th round this morning in, in a draft that I was in, so that... Howell falls to the 18th all the time, but he's still like I, I did one today. He went in the 14th. It's like, guys, everyone should have to declare their Sam Howell uh, intent. We should have to do like a blind bid at the start of the draft where we just like name it so I can get it out of the way and not get sniped when I get to the 15th thinking like, I guess I'll take a, a, a wide receiver seven now. And then someone takes Howell the next pick and I'm, I just I have to like rage quit. Yeah, <laughs> it it the variance on uh, on every Howell time is... I take every time I take a good uh, quarterback two or you know an expensive quarterback two Howell goes undrafted every single time. <laughs> Why must we be tormented like this? 
Um, let's see here. But before we get on to a couple more, we'll go, we'll fast forward past the 14th round. There aren't a lot of tight ends that tend to go there. We already talked about Taysom Hill. Um, we're going to get to some later round guys and then move on to our uh, last topic here. But got a couple messages from our sponsors here. Leading us off here is Fantrax. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your fantasy league had or other features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable platform in the the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. I am currently in the Rotowire staff uh, college football league. It's a slow draft, and uh, let me put the emphasis on slow. But uh, the the interface is great, and the, and all of the fan tracks part of it is great. It's just uh, got to pick up the pace a little bit. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league. Invite your friends and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty fantasy football platform in the industry. Coming from another service, not a problem. Fantrax can easily import any of your league's current settings and rosters and customize if needed. Ever have a trade go wrong or make a mistake in dropping a player? Fantrax commissioner tools allow you to undo any move with one simple click. Is there anything lacking in your current fantasy league manager? Fantrax likely has it. Fantrax is running a special promotion that you do not want to miss. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash rotowire today to enter for your chance to win Tickets to any regular season NFL game for you and your entire league, plus $6,000 in spending cash. That's right. Tickets for your entire league. Simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. For my money, if I had, if I could pick uh, one regular season game this year, that's Sunday nighter between the Ravens and the Jags in Jacksonville in December, week before Christmas. That's gonna that would be it. I would, I'd love that. I'd love to get there. So maybe I don't know if I can win this contest. Even simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. Simply go to fantrax.com/slash/rotowire and sign up today. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. And we've got a message from our friends over at Rival Fantasy. If you're looking for a place to play head-to-head fantasy football games without the huge tournaments, salary caps, or complicated game types then Rival Fantasy is where you want to play this season, this NFL season, in fact. From a twist on a classic game with Fantasy Bingo, where players generate a lineup to compete, to complete achievements and get bingo, to -to head-to-head fantasy challenges, where you'll pick which of the two players will score more fantasy points, this is the best of fantasy sports. For the 2023 NFL season, Rival Fantasy is offering new users a $200 deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. Rival Fantasy is so confident, you'll love the experience. They're giving you money to play out of the gate. Experience the future of fantasy sports on Rival Fantasy and become a rival today. All right, Mario, we have mined pretty deeply into into the tight end well, but I want to hit you with a couple more guys. Again, interestingly, that that, uh, Juwan Johnson was going in the 18th. Isaiah likely went in the 18th in this draft I participated in earlier. Um, I want to round it out, though, um, with two two guys uh, that, that stick out in, in my mind. That's Dawson Knox. I uh, went in the late 15th earlier today in the in this one draft, and then Jake Ferguson uh, in the 16th. 
Um, your thoughts on either of those guys as potential late round targets? I'm pretty low on them, honestly. I think Knox before the Kincaid selection was was kind of interesting. Although even back even back then, I thought Knox tended to go to early. You sometimes see him going in like the 11th round and 12th round stuff like that, as if he could do any better than the the five eighty seven and nine touchdowns from 2021. He was pretty much the exact same player, maybe even arguably a little better actually last year, catching 48 for 517 and six touchdowns. And people called it a down year, but all that really changes. He had three fewer touchdowns and it's uh, by the way, he did, he did that on uh, 90 fewer snaps. So he, if anything would have been due to improve a little bit, uh, but yeah, he was, he was kind of uh, described as a down season and then Kincaid gets there and, Granted, I'm not taking Kincaid. I don't know what exactly the Bills plan to do with uh, the two of them and everything else that they have on hand. But Kincaid is not there to block. Uh, Knox is going to have to block if they're on the field at the same time. And it's a pass play. Uh, You're not going to see that much. uh, You're not going to see like a four wide sort of analogous function by having Knox and Kincaid and then two receivers run routes. Like that's just you're being needlessly slow. Uh, it's like a selective shot kind of thing after you get the defense to, to respond with really big personnel and, a, you know, it's at, uh, hopefully both safeties in the box and at least one. So it's a lot of situational stuff that uh, for the price, just it, it was not interesting to me. And now with that said, Knox goes a lot later and I, I've, I've considered it a couple times. I just, I, I, I have a couple other guys that, that we'll get into that we'll get to in a minute here that, that I prefer straight up and they happen to go, much later yet uh ferguson though i i just don't really have any interest in i think he's there pretty much to be a, a sixth lineman and uh a lot like actually the the hayden hurst role with the bengals last year but on a team that doesn't throw as much and uh i think has it's gonna get more of a third receiver role i think than in the cincinnati case too like i think Michael Gallup, Brandon Cooks, CeeDee Lamb are all going to get a lot of work this year. I wouldn't be surprised if all three go over a thousand yards. I'm positive that, you know, Lamb and Cooks will if they stay healthy. And I, I I think Gallup could too. But part of that is it's like Ferguson might stay in to do a lot of chipping, um, a lot of check down stuff on the targets that he does get, which is just to say like he should have a high catch rate, but I don't know if he's going to get that many like uh, certainly not much volume opportunity. And I don't know about big play opportunity. Like he's going to have to do a lot after the catch and he's not exactly a fast guy. He's, he's more like kind of quick. So I like Ferguson as a real life player. I think he's a clear upgrade for the Cowboys over Dalton Schultz. But part of the reason why I think that is because he, he helps the run game and he helps those other receivers. Uh, you're, you're able to take more ambitious dropbacks with someone like Ferguson sticking around as a sixth lineman to neutralize the blitz and then you know if those three receivers don't get open or if the if Pollard doesn't or whoever Ferguson's there basically to to get four yards five yards instead of a sack you know so I I think that's that's a that's a good structure for an offense I just don't really see the the path for Ferguson to get catches really okay so so but in both Knox and Ferguson's cases like the blocking responsibilities might you know, just kind of lead to a really, really thin margin for error. Like, like yeah. coming into last draft season, Knox was a pretty easy regression call. Like, you, you know, the nine touchdowns, like Tunyon, on, you know, it's like when a guy has like 10 touchdowns on 40 catches, like, yeah, he, he can do a great job next year and he's still not going to get that return. 
Yeah, you're you're chasing uh, something that that's just not uh, going to come back the the next year. That's that's just uh, going to plexiglass uh, the the other way. Um, I'm I think I'm probably a little bit more interested in in Ferguson, uh, especially with him going slightly later. But he's not exactly like the the end of the draft or undrafted guy that that he was earlier in the off season. But I'll have a, a little bit of optimism with him. I, I thought he was a, like a good pass catcher at Wisconsin, but I, I think to, yeah. to your point, Mario, like you know, they they do have a lot of mouths to feed with those receivers. Um, as long as they all stay upright, and and you know, Tony Pollard is going to be catching a lot of passes. So, um, you know, there there might just not end up not being that many targets to where it's just like Ferguson. He might be efficient on the targets he gets. It's just not going to be enough. And and you know, then you're just counting on touchdown luck and that that gets you know a little bit tricky um let's go ahead and, and flatten my hopes for for this last one here before we move on to to uh to our next subject matter i i sort of halfway and uh our, our guy dj will appreciate this one uh i forgot to pay attention when i was nominating a player and tyler conklin was at the top of my queue so he gets tossed out for a dollar no bites so I got stuck with Tyler Conklin. Can you make really me feel better that, about it? That was my stake league uh, specialty. <laughs> like being like, haha, some idiot will buy this guy. Like, yeah, me. Uh, $1. I, I needed a third or fourth tight end or whatever just happened. Uh, <laughs> and our tiny, the tiny bench in that league too. is just like, I, I, it was, it's brutal when you, when that one blows up on you. Cause you just, you really needed that bench spot for like some, some backup running back or something. Uh, but yeah, I think um, Conklin's pretty interesting. He's he's getting it seems like more interest in drafts uh, the past few weeks than he did certainly a couple months ago, and I, I get it. I uh, he he played a lot of snaps the last two years. Like that's that's good to see. It means he's always an option to stay involved for the offense. Of course, they're not going to go to him as a first choice when there's Garrett Wilson. Uh, uh, Corey Davis, Michael Hardman, all of the all the the artists formerly known as the Packers, you know. Lizard oh, Alan Lazard, that was the one I couldn't think of. Rand- course, Randall, Randall Cobb. Cobb, his caddy, uh, uh, Rogers caddy. Uh, so th- those guys, th- they're going to be involved for more base functions, I think, than Conklin. Again, Conklin is kind of that Jake Ferguson, Hayden Hurston, Cincinnati kind of role where he's he's largely there to just set the edge and to the extent that he's involved as a pass catcher, it's usually kind of like we need to check down. Uh, Conklin does make some plays downfield and he, I can't remember how much of how good of an athlete he is, but um, he definitely was like one of the more active pass catchers in, in college football at central Michigan. So the, the, the ability has always been there. Yeah. He's, he's almost exactly like a Ferguson kind of athlete, a four, eight flat 40 uh, good jumps, good agility stuff that makes it really good to play off the edge as like a check down kind of guy, like get, set a good chip block, maybe even get you, you know, six to 10 yards, uh, mostly after the catch. If, if the receivers can't get open, like that's what Conklin gives them. So between playing so many snaps and, and having that regular function, like he, he's surprisingly consistent for a guy who doesn't really have too many spike weeks, but that's the issue for me. It's like, I don't really see the spike weeks and outside of PPR, especially I don't really know how Conklin's going to be explosive. I, I would also say that some of his usage both of the last two years was somewhat um, somewhat a case of like the offense just uh, developing a dependency. You know, it's, it's not 
the goal of your offense to get 87 targets to Tyler Conklin, especially if he's only going to catch 58 for 552 yards in Minnesota, his last year too, he's only 6.8 yards a target. So uh, he, he just doesn't seem to have a downfield element. And uh, I, I think with that, that it makes it that much more obvious that the jets receivers will take up all that space, leaving him with uh, maybe a good floor, but basically no ceiling to negotiate upward. And uh, uh, this just kind of dawned on me as, as we were talking about um, Conklin, but, you know, CJ Uzama was the bigger free agent signing for the Jets coming into last year. Um, any way that, that he somehow like resurfaces and, and kind of like uh, starts to eat into Conklin's workload or, or uh, do some of my like old college fantasy football dream, like uh, players I really liked, like uh, Kenny Yaboa or, Z- <laughs> or Zach Kuntz going to do something here. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert could I like if I was if I was building an offense and choosing from these tight ends I would probably I, I don't think I would take Conklin I think I'd take Ruckert but he's uh, a he's a football player like he, he's lunch pail total lunch pail guy he seems to have some athleticism though I don't think he could do any athletic testing because he was hurt before uh, his draft but Ruckert's one of those guys who, who he looks more athletic or at least more functionally athletic than certainly Conklin. Uzama is actually a pretty crazy athlete. He's just sort of a, he might have that kind of crossbow problem where he just, he, he, he has like a buffering time in the first like eight yards that makes it harder to get him targets than someone like Conklin, even though Conklin's not anywhere near as athletic as Uzama. But I, uh, if I'm, if I'm trying to strike 10 yards downfield, certainly Uzama's the one between the two. Cause he's, he's like six, six, two sixty and, Runs like a four six or something like that, whereas Conklin's a four eight at two fifty five and, and quite a bit shorter. So uh, Uzama played five hundred ten snaps last year. He, he's he was pretty regularly involved, but I think he's I don't know what what his sin is if he's if he's the better blocker between the two or what. I don't know why they left him with less, but they they definitely prioritized Conklin over him last year. Yeah, so it's uh I don't know what. I don't know if I'm leaving this one feeling a whole lot better about Conklin. I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, scouring the waiver wire for for. He should give you a bunch of like eight and twelve point weeks. You know, I'll take it. Yeah, that's that's all I really need. But um, let's go ahead. Let's transition over to. uh, We're gonna be staying in this end of the of the pool, the the player pool. But we're moving a little bit past just tight ends. Although of course we can still talk about them. But uh, you're working on a piece. Uh, detailing some of your favorite end of draft targets. So uh, frame that for us. Is that 17th round, 18th round, um, or, or just It'll strictly be, 18th? Pick 200 and later. Okay, so we're, we're talking about uh, the very tail end of your drafts over on Underdog. Um, what What's the lay of the land? What what are what have been your kind of takeaways as far as like what positions are still there with, with guys with a little bit of juice, some that are just kind of, uh, totally empty out at that point. Uh, what's the landscape look like? I think there's a few justifiable tight end targets in the 18th round. And uh, I, for, for me, that list is Hunter Henry at 202 and a half Luke Musgrave at 203.8 and uh, actually uh, Michael Mayer at 208.5. I'm not really taking him, but I I'm kind of curious about it. I definitely think he's a, a really good prospect. Also Isaiah likely at 206.7 and Trey McBride at 206. So these these are the guys who tend to go in this range if if they if there is a tight end going in the 18th round. 
And to me, uh, th- there's there's one clear target here, one that I'm taking a whole lot more than everybody else, and it's Trey McBride. And I, I can't tell what everyone is thinking about him. I, th- I think there's a general, like, uh, just lack of analysis about the Cardinals offense because it's just kind of a dreary subject and no one wants to think about it, which I totally understand. But if you do think about it, I I have to believe it's pretty obvious that McBride is going too late. Generally, I'll often take him actually in like the 16th round just to make sure no one's going to jump me for him in the 17th or 18th because the the target upside of, of McBride relative to all these other guys is just completely different categories i don't even think mcbride was that great of a prospect out of colorado state but think about it we've got an offense where yes there's quarterback questions but what do quarterbacks who struggle to throw down field which tends to be the case with most backups certainly guys like colt mccoy clayton tune as as a little bit more of a slinger attitude but i I don't think it's because he has like arm talent he'll, he'll be throwing underneath plenty too uh Check down quarterbacks have to check down to the tight end quite a bit. And when the wide receiver competition is so unproven as it is, and I, I like Marquise Brown. I think he's a good player. I think he's a horrible fit for this offense. Uh, I think that uh, he will at once draw the most defensive attention, but won't be able to to capitalize on the way that he would in an offense with more space, with more downfield striking ability. So I think when the, on this team that has a horrible looking defense, uh, might be the worst team in the NFL, they will be falling behind pretty regularly. And James Conner will stay involved, I'm sure. James Conner is awesome. But uh, A, he's got a bit of a durability history, of course. And B, someone else has to catch targets. Your choices are uh, Marquise Brown, the rookie Michael Wilson, and Rondell Moore. And I definitely think Moore and Brown are going to get plenty of targets. But McBride might be the one easiest to get the ball to. Like the, the defense is going to know, okay, Marquise Brown, he's really fast. Keep a safety over him. Rondale Moore, uh, he's really fast. He's not going to run as far downfield, but have someone ready to jump that route because they could go to him, and then that's that's a pain if they go to him. Uh, McBride should be relatively overlooked by defense. Defenses should just kind of almost want the Cardinals to throw it to McBride because it's a lot of uh, chain moving. You know, if the Cardinals are going to be losing, you as a defense don't mind if they get eight catches for 80 yards to McBride because they're not scoring points. They're, they're running right. out the clock for you. Uh, whereas if you let Marquise Brown or Rondale Moore loose, you could all of a sudden, you know, have, have the backdoor nightmare scenario happen to you. So McBride, I think has an opening and a sort of um, like welcoming almost from the way defenses are likely to respond to these receivers. And beyond that, McBride is a, totally decent prospect i thought he was kind of a weird pick for the cardinals i didn't think they needed him but no. what do you know i mean just zach Ertz. there's not just the acl but the mcl in late november i don't know if Ertz is what's pe- got people hung up about mcbride but look i think it's just Ertz the general sentiment of the cardinals I, I think it's just like do i want it to touch this even in the fair enough round? uh but especially in PPR and, and I'm taking on uh, McBride on underdog all the time too. Like Ertz is not really going to play this year. He's to mm-hmm. the extent that he's active. It's going to be as like a mascot. Basically he was already completely toast last year, getting a late November ACL MCL. He's going to turn 32, uh, sorry, 33 in November. This is McBride's tight end position to run. 
And we already saw a look at the end of last year how this how this could go. He wasn't great or anything, but he had the seven catches for 78 yards and a touchdown against the Falcons on 10 targets. He had four catches for 55 yards against the Broncos in mile high two weeks before that. So he, as a guy who, who caught so many passes at Colorado State, and by the way, McBride, uh, pro- he, he's got the athletic profile pretty similar to someone like Laporta. Uh, he had a six four two forty five ran a four five six at the Colorado State Pro Day, so that's probably like probably a little slower than Laporta. But uh, you know McBride can can be less than Laporta, and in this offense, still be quite busy, in my opinion. So I'm taking a lot. He's, of he's used to he's used to carrying a bad offense. I mean that that was the story of him at Colorado State that last year. Like they they only threw it to him. Boy, that offense was depressed. Like Colorado State used to be so cool and fun. And uh, whatever Steve Adazio did to them, um, he should be punished. And whatever Jay Norvell is trying to do over there, uh, I'm not trusting that it's going to work either. But so yeah, so I, I I didn't think McBride was that great of a prospect, but he's he's going to get a ton of check down targets on a team that's playing catch up a lot and can't throw to its receivers that well. So I, I think McBride is actually like a the standout upside tight end after the the 14th rounder. So Musgrave is also a good bet, I guess, as a as an early second rounder. I just am kind of skeptical that it's, you know, whereas uh, I think the Cardinals are going to have to throw to McBride a lot. The Packers have a few options uh, all over the place, including, you know, especially receiver, but even like Aaron Jones is a candidate to get like 400 or 500 yards receiving or something. Yeah, well, good good point uh, there when it when it comes to potential Musgrave uh, pitfall. Um, let's see who else is catching your eye uh, at, from pick two hundred onward. Uh, would you? Say? Yeah, sticking sticking with the Cardinals offense, I think Keontae Ingram is the number two running back on their depth chart, and I definitely even share the concerns about James Conner's durability. He. he you know, he plays a incredibly rugged style of running back and he takes a lot of hits. So the injuries have piled up accordingly. They might continue to pile up. So we, we, we all kind of agree on that or else Connor would be going more like the fourth or fifth round in fantasy instead of the seventh or eighth, like he does. And it's so odd that in this fantasy media landscape where, you know, you see people just driving themselves mad with fan fiction that they write about backup running backs, you know, fantasizing about the starter getting benched for this nobody prospect that we're all going to forget about in four months and you see all of that around uh, around myriad backfields how come there is no uh completely unhinged hype for Keontae ingram as the clear backup to one of the most injury prone starting running backs in the nfl like do we think Corey clement's gonna play i don't think he will there's clement's getting up there in age he's always had durability troubles he came into the nfl running a four six seven forty i doubt it got any better since then Keontae Ingram, meanwhile, is a pretty toolsy running back. And I know that people are going to look at his production from last year and say, like, look how bad it was. Like, mm-hmm. He he had like a quarter of his carries in like garbage time, short yardage and stuff like that. He wasn't there to play. And when they would put him on the field, it was like something was going wrong or like it was a play that didn't matter or something like that. We, we know he's got ability with the ball because he showed it at both USC and Texas and at you know 221 pounds. He can t- he can play a three down workload and take on the three down workload if Connor were to miss time. So if that were the case, you don't even need to convince yourself that Ingram's any good. If he's getting that level of usage, it doesn't matter. And there's unless unless we think Connor should go more in like the fifth or the fourth, 
that is very specifically a scenario we're all projecting in our minds, you know? So uh, even I, I, I have to make myself take more Ingram in the 18th. It's, it's kind of a lottery ticket kind of thing. He's not going to play if not much anyway, if Ingram's healthy, but like this TCU running back Mercado, he's not going to be in the NFL past October or something. Corey Clement could easily get cut. Uh, Tyson Williams, the Ravens ran out for every clown free agent in existence. Oh so, dear. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Well. So uh, Ingram is one injury away from bad offense or not playing, you know, 40 snaps a game. And there's just no acknowledgement of that at all in the market right now. Okay. That that's a really, that's an excellent call. That's one that had not been on my radar. I've done too many best ball drafts and, and have not even considered him yet. Um, so, all right, Ingram, uh, hopefully I'm going to get one of these drafts in while the, uh, while the audio uh, is processing to get this podcast out. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about someone who, who I'm noticing in the streets is getting, getting a little bit of hype, at, a little bit out of nowhere, but at, at the same time, the team context, the team situation, Kareem Hunt leaves this team's, uh, you know, the facility, uh, on Wednesday with no contract in tow with the Jonathan Taylor saga ongoing is Evan Hall, the one to, to go after it with your last pick lottery ticket. He's got some ability, certainly as a pass catcher. He's very comfortable yes. um, taking on things like that. The problem that I see is a couple things. Uh, Zach Moss will be back eventually. They're not going to like put him on IR for the rest of the year. So he was probably the top backup to Taylor before Taylor's absence and before Zach Moss broke his arm or whatever. Yeah, broke his arm. So Moss, it hasn't showed up in the NFL so much, but he's a totally good pass catcher and probably he might be like one of their better options in the blitz pickup too he's definitely got a sturdy build uh, has a lot of anchor to him but uh he he being hurt of course opens up a little bit more room for hull and the problem uh, with that though is Deion jackson as well so Deion jackson was the like passing down specialist during zach moss's four week run as the starter last year and he didn't, uh, Deion Jackson didn't get a whole lot as a ball carry. He got pretty much, you know, scraps at most. But as a pass catcher, he was really good last year, actually. And he had a cut two games that one, uh, week 18 against Houston, week six against Jacksonville, went over 75 yards in both, uh, went over 70, uh, sorry, at least 75 yards in both, 75 and 179 in the other. And, you know, he looked good doing it. You could see the difference between him and Moss's pass catching threats, too. You could, you'd see like, Whereas Moss would catch the ball and maybe even kind of, you know, crack his shoulder pads against the guy tackling pretty good for you know, four or five yards. Deion Jackson would take that same flats target and turn the corner with it because Jackson has quite a bit more speed than Moss. So that play is is a is a good one and one that the, the Colts will need this year, uh, especially because they just don't have any receiver depth at all. So if, if, if particularly if they don't have Taylor, not that I think they'll not have Taylor, but if they don't. There's going to be slack somewhere in that backfield, of course. And uh, I think Jackson is kind of the first one up before Hull because Hull is largely just the same applications as Jackson, but he's A, a rookie, and B, smaller and slower than Deion Jackson is. So Deion Jackson uh, was not much of a – he was not a talked-about prospect out of Duke, but he was always a 
totally viable NFL running back prospect. He was one of those guys who you say like, you know, the production is mostly there at Duke and the tools are definitely there. You know, 5'11", 218, 442 pro day 40. So he's, he's a little bit bigger than Hull and a, I would say at least a step faster. So that that's that's the problem for Hull, in my opinion. He, he he would probably be good, but why would he see much usage if Jackson does all the same stuff, but is just a bigger and faster player? I I I remember really liking Deion Jackson uh, back in back at Duke College Fantasy Football. That he was, was pretty good. He was super underrated. Duke football generally, um, kind of oddly enough, turns out some some fun fantasy production. Uh, unre- unrelated to the NFL, of course, but Heisman Dark Horse, Riley Leonard. You heard it here. Uh, this is an NFL podcast, so I'll, I'll drop that now. But just uh, take take a nibble uh, with some pizza money. Uh, I certainly am. Um, but yeah, this is a Mario. This is a learned backfield. You got a Northwestern guy. You got a Duke guy. Um, all of this to say, it, we all know it's going to be Jake Funk, right? <laughs> Jake Funk uh, is is on the practice squad radar. He he could he could still have his triumph yet, but uh, need, needs a couple more broken arms, I think. Okay, um, yeah, and one more one more player needlessly alienated by uh, the the uh, their their owner. The yeah, Jim that Ursa. that guy, that that Jim Irsay fella. Um, so that. That, that was one guy that I wanted you to, to expound upon a little bit more, Evan, Evan Hall, because, you know, I'm starting to notice that he's getting drafted pretty much every time out now. So it was good you see to, people um, say matter of factly, too, that he's he's the next one up. No, look, you look at who Deion Jackson is and, and try again. Yep. Yeah. Good. Um, you know, you, it, there's a uh, there's value in actually looking into into things uh, sometimes it turns out. But I want to turn it over to you. Um, give me a couple other guys that are catching your eye um, here in in the end game uh, before we sign off. Yeah, neither is exciting, obviously. But I think Mac Jones and Ryan Tannehill in the 18th round are kind of justifiable. Uh, I, I I think Jones is going to be in particular a, a nice uh, backup quarterback in best ball because he I. Hey, I'm just kind of sure he's going to start over Bailey Zappi. I'm just willing to assume that. And B, unlike last year and more like his rookie year, I think Jones is going to be playing in really advantageous situations because that Patriots defense is going to be completely bonkers. And these these scenarios where the, from last year where they're like they're trying to catch up and the pressure is getting to him, those days are gone. They they do not have to rush ever again. And playing in an on a low stress on schedule offense in enemy territory. Often I think it's going to pay off for Jones. I, th- I think he's going to get a lot of touchdowns, even if, uh, even if the uh, yardage is contained. And so I think he'll pay off there. There's more upside to be had. I think at the receiver position receiver is generally where I'm picking in the last round the, the running backs are such lottery tickets across the board. Whereas the receivers, I, I think they have some lottery ticket upside, but they also give you some stat padding, you know, some, some floor padding, from week to week and it, it's a long list we talked about those cardinals guys michael wilson I, I think is still a totally fine 18th round pick i, I think he's, he's a good prospect and he's, he's of course unique for the body type uh otherwise i'm going to race through if, if, i guess i'm going to name my my favorites here like josh downs is so it's it's, it's ridiculous how overlooked this guy is and it, believe me if jonathan taylor is not playing everyone's going to wish they had a lot of josh downs because there's going to be a hell of a lot of third and longs in that offense and they're not going to be 
thriving in the downfield passing department with a rookie Anthony Richardson. I'm sorry. I love Richardson, but he's going to be throwing to downs a lot. If there's no Jonathan Taylor, he the downs could catch 80 passes this year. If Jonathan Taylor isn't playing for the Colts. Hey now. So I don't think that'll happen, but it could happen if it does happen. And mm-hmm. so uh, downs is a, is a staple target for me. Another one that I think just cannot hurt you and, and has a decent amount of upside Terrace Marshall. I know there's some positive press for Jonathan Mingo the other day. It's like, I'm sorry, Chark and Marshall are their best downfield route runners. That's where Bryce Young is going to be able to throw most reliably and everything underneath is going to Thielen. So I don't see it for Mingo. I do see it for Marshall. I don't think he can hurt you. Joshua Palmer is not going to be a, a top three receiver for the Chargers, but if Keenan Allen or Mike Williams were to miss any time, he's the first one up for either one. So I, I like him there. And an overlooked player is still Deontay Hardy, in my opinion. He, he can't give you upside, granted, uh, being 5'6", 170 or whatever he is, he's never going to play 40 snaps in a game for the Bills. But it's almost like a, a, a little bit like Jawan Johnson being called a tight end, you know, and, and playing more like a receiver and therefore getting a lot more snaps with, or a lot more routes per snap and targets per snap than, than the comparables. Like Deontay Hardy goes onto the field as a wide receiver who is pretty much running a route every single time he's on the field. Like he's, he's only getting 25, 30 snaps, but when he's out there, he is not blocking. He's, he, there's a really good chance he's getting the ball. And at the very least he's taking the safety down the field with him. And, and if the safety doesn't go fast enough, Josh Allen can make that throw. Obviously that's a specific element of the bills offense. That's been missing. So uh, much more than Kincaid, what I think will improve the bills offense. If it's to improve this year is Deontay Hardy giving them, a an immense upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie is like the smallish slot type and specifically a deep element. Like Stefan Diggs was their only deep element for the past few years. Uh, I know Gabe Davis, we have a lot of those targets, but it's, it's not his forte. It was like, they were just, you know, kind of forcing him to play that role out of a shortage of alternatives. Hardy is, is a guy who can get like six targets per 30 snaps. And he's a monster both after the catch and down the field. So I, I think he could, he could be, the third leading receiver on the bills even. And I like Shakir too, but Hardy could get something like 600 yards on just like, I don't know, 450 snaps or something like that. Cause he'll be so busy as a route runner when he is on the field. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to get me, uh, get me some of that. I, I've mostly kind of stayed away from, from the bills passing game other than Diggs. more of a even stack pick by the way, if it's more, I yeah. like to take Hardy when I already have, you know, or Shakira, like sometimes I'll take Shakira and Hardy, not, not even a full bill stack, but it's like, if, if you, if you, for the price of a 17th and 18th round pick can get locked the bills, third and fourth receiver. I feel like that's one of those cornering opportunities that kind of makes sense. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can also draft Puka Nakua every single day in the 18th round. I like doing that. He's a he's a durable asset. It's, <laughs> it's a, the kind of stuff you make your uh, your retirement investments out of. Just yes, yeah, I got I got the diamond hands, baby. Um, Mario, that was phenomenal. Uh, really good breakdown on those tight ends and other late round targets uh, to consider. That's going to do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, big thanks to our uh, sponsors over at Circa, over at Fantrax, and over at Rival, and of course uh, our uh, our podcasting network, uh, the Blue Not- Blue Wire uh, Network. That's going to do it for us here from our Puig. I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening. 
Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. 